0: Indeed. My wife was baking cookies uh, yesterday afternoon for the Living Nativity, and so uh, we are participating in that way. My granddaughter is a sheep. She has volunteered and is quite excited about being a sheep this year for the Living Nativity, and can't wait. She's getting all geared up for the practices and doing all that she needs to do. I don't know how you practice to be a sheep, but um, she's uh, quite excited. She's five years of age, and can't wait to... uh, be part of the living nativity this year and so she is some excited about being a sheep for that production and all that that entails and so um, we are excited if you are visiting with us um, uh, we're glad that you are here uh, my name is russ wilson and uh, 33 is my home church i, I work for a, a different group of churches and travel as a living uh, for a living and try to help out churches across western canada And so I'm around about half the time, and uh, the other half uh, Willow Park is my home church, and so it is a privilege, and I say that because it's important uh, to me that uh, I get to call Willow Park uh, my home church, because uh, it is just um, a place that I need to call home, I need, uh, you you have no idea when I'm on the road um, how often I think, and I pray for Willow Park, and pray for our pastors, and uh, pray for Pastor Phil, and so... uh, and I will be going to the meeting this afternoon because it's my home church. And it's just important for me to be engaged in that way and, and to support my church in the way that I can. And, so, uh, and this is one of the ways that I get to support the church when I'm around. Uh, this is my uh, particular gifting that God has blessed me with. And so um, I get to use this. I was at Creekside a few weeks ago and got to be there with that uh, particular part of our group of churches. And so, um, but it's, I can't express enough how important it is for me to have this as my home church and so if you're visiting i want you to know that this is a great place for you to um, be at this morning and uh, this is a great family of churches and so um, i just uh, want to express that again publicly that it is so good for us to have um, uh, what god's doing here in our midst and so uh, i echo what brad was sharing this morning and and child of mine is is again a great ministry and so Be generous with them as God enables you to do that because um, you will never go wrong in being a generous person in the kingdom of God. That's just a a factual truth. Um, We can't take it with us, folks. And so um, uh, give, be generous, and God will in turn, you'll just be amazed at how he will bless you back. Uh, Stand with me at this time. We're going to pray and ask God to uh, speak to us through his word. This morning and see what He has for us. Uh, I don't know where you're at in your life, but uh, God does, and uh, He will meet us this morning. I trust um, and know that that is just, uh, again, a truth that uh, our God is amazing as we were led through our worship time this morning and that we're um, engaged in um, worshiping Him. Let's just ask Him to meet us again through His Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. Um, we've already sung that truth through the worship songs. We're going to um, meet you again through this Hebrews 12 passage this morning. And so now we invite you. We, um, we invite you to meet us through your word, through your spirit, to reveal yourself again. And we are all at different places in our own individual journeys. And you are the only one who knows where all of us individually, individually are at. And so we ask you, Father. We invite you to speak to us, to meet us, to reveal yourself to us at the particular point that we find ourselves today. And we will pause right now by faith and give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory because you're the only one who is worthy. You are amazing, God beyond description and we praise you right now in your son's matchless name Jesus Christ our savior we praise you amen and amen you may be seated it was some time ago that I was at um, some national uh, board meetings in Ontario and um, my uh, my phone vibrated and I looked at it and the name that came up was Roger and and I'd seen Roger just the week before. I was speaking at a men's retreat in uh, the area of Saskatoon. And Roger had been a, a member of the church that I had previously pastored um, before I took this current job that I'm at and and had a chance to visit with Roger at that point in time. And um, the interesting thing of visiting with Roger at that point was, uh, was that his wife was dying of cancer. Roger's wife at that point was 48 years of age. And I, I grieved with him as as we visited, uh, as he was at that men's retreat and um we knew that roger's wife probably didn't have much time left and we would prayed with him and um the church that i formerly pastored was praying with him obviously and uh roger's wife was a delight she was a, a women's ministry leader and uh my own daughter-in-law had spent lots of time with her because she was mentoring my daughter-in-law jen and and um jen was actually with lisa that weekend that um Roger was at the men's retreat because someone needed to be with Lisa 24 hours a day at that point. uh, She couldn't be by herself because of her condition. And so um, when my phone vibrated, I looked at it, saw Roger's name, and and so I excused myself from the meetings that I was in, and and, uh, I simply said, uh, I answered the phone, I said, what's up, my friend? And he just said, "Um, it's Lisa. And so I knew that probably wasn't good, and um, so he told me the story of, what had just transpired Lisa had been diagnosed with cancer within the previous calendar year and uh, it was an aggressive kind of cancer and she went through many treatments and uh, we as good Christian folks had uh, prayed for her healing and, and she went through all the treatments that she could possibly go through and, and um, church, her many friends and, and the thing about Lisa was that she had decided to walk this part of her journey in a very public way she would uh, put together a, a Facebook uh, page called Lisa's Little Bump in the Road, which I, I just was amazed by Lisa's Little Bump in the Road. Um, but she was going to be bluntly honest about the, the pain, the the appointments. Um, she shared with her, um, her friends, her family. It was a closed group, obviously. And but if you were part of her closed group, then um, she was going to be very, very honest about how this cancer was affecting her even though we were all praying along the journey that that God in his grace would heal her but she ran her race with perseverance and and with a joy and and um because I had been her pastor at one point in time in her life and because my daughter-in-law had been mentored by her we were on that very close inner circle of seeing everything that was going on and and uh, the cancer had been in her mouth and so uh It was a disfiguring kind of cancer. And and so her facial features were changing and my daughter-in-law got to see everything and we knew lots more than what sometimes we wanted to know. And and yet Lisa ran her race to the very end with, with a sense of joy in many respects. It was amazing to watch. Amazing to be part of. Amazing to see how a person could do that. And in fact, up to the very last day of her journey she was scheduled to have a Bible study with the ladies that she was um, mentoring and walking with so that very last when Roger the phone call, when my phone vibrated um, she was supposed to have a, a baby, ladies Bible study at her house that day that she passed away she was scheduled to have a Bible study at her house that day and I thought wow how is it possible to run your race that way how is it possible to run with that perseverance? How is it possible to run with joy right up to the day that you say goodbye? How is that possible? Well, um, there's this season in our Christian calendars called Lent, and um, this guy named Walter Wongren, he, he wrote this um, little book called Reliving the Passion, Meditations for Lent, and and I'd read it some time ago and, and came across this, this quote that I want to give to you that uh, Walter Wongren wrote in, in this little book that he wrote um, called Reliving the Passion Meditations for Lent. Let me just read it to you and, and listen to what he has to say. It, it has to do with this passage that we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, The difference between the shallow happiness. or but, Let me restart, restart that again. The difference between shallow happiness and a deep sustaining joy is sorrow. Happiness lives where sorrow is not. When sorrow arrives, happiness dies. It can't stand pain. Joy, on the other hand, rises from sorrow and therefore can withstand all grief. Joy, by the grace of God, is the transfiguration of suffering into endurance and of endurance into character, and of character into hope. And the hope that has become our joy does not, as happiness must for those who depend on it, disappoint us. In the sorrows of Christ, as we ourselves experience them, we prepare for Easter, for joy. He was writing that for the coming of Easter, of course, as he wrote this little meditation for Lent. And, and I was just struck by the fact that there's such a big difference between happiness and joy. And, and as I was re- thinking through um, Roger's grief and, and the difference in Lisa's ability to walk her walk and, and to have joy, as she did right up to the last part of her life, I, um, I was studying through and reading through and and put together this message into Hebrews chapter 12. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read just the first three verses, and, and we'll read some other portions of Scripture as well. But let me just read these first three verses, and then we're going to do a bit of looking at, and we'll have an outline of the passage as well. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who that is, um, but he says this, Therefore, since we are... Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just those three verses for now. If you're looking at an outline and want to take notes, well, then it's going to look like this. The first part of the outline says this: number one, we we need to search for and follow good examples. We need to search for and follow good examples, and and as Sue and I were, were talking about this this weekend I, I said I'm so glad for my daughter-in-law who's as a young mom and, and had the opportunity of having Lisa pour her life into our daughter-in-law Jen's life I thought she had the opportunity to, to find and follow a good example like Lisa who was, a, even though she, her life only lasted 48 years she had a profound impact upon our daughter-in-law's life and so search for and follow good examples because um, this great cloud of witnesses they're not an audience watching us but rather they're people that we look to in order to run our race. Because the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, as we look at that beginning of chapter 12, he says that, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And he's actually connecting it back to what has been said in chapter 11. And if we start reading in chapter 11 at verse 32, we see... So we, because originally Scripture didn't have this breakdown of of the chapters as we do, it was it was a, a just a, a a letter that would be written as one whole thing. But we go back to chapter eleven and we'll start at verse thirty two, and the writer there he says, starting at verse thirty two, "What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about." And he goes through the list, and so. Chapter 11 is referred to as this great hall of fame of of faith of these heroes and stuff. But we start at chapter 11 and verse 32. And he says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. It's like, I I wish I had more time, is what the writer's saying. Because there's way more than what I've got time to tell you about. He says, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world, now listen to this, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what would have been promised. God had planned something better for, them, for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. But I love that line that the writer says, he says, these people, the world was not worthy of them. Why? Because they lived by faith, and yet they didn't get any kind of great reward in how they were living. He says the world wasn't worthy of them. And then he says, in light of these people, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Chapter 12. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, he's saying, we have examples to follow. We as current believers, the writer is saying, we have people who have already walked the walk. We have people who have gone ahead of us and shown us that it's possible through the hard times of life, to persevere, hang in there and walk the walk. And his phrase was that the world wasn't worthy of them, but they made it, and so you and I can make it too. So to answer our question, how can we live our lives in the midst of great challenges? The answer is as we look to those who have gone before us and they lived life well to the very last breath. Hebrews 12 reminds us that, well, actually we already have a great cloud of witnesses to show us that it is possible. It is possible. And if you feel like you don't have those examples in your own circle of family and friends, well, then you can either go back to scripture and say, well, I do have... A list they're here in the Bible or you can ask God to give you some living examples I've been privileged to have those people like Lisa my friend or others that God has blessed my life with that, that I get amazed by the privilege of actually watching them live their life and, and I go wow that's amazing and I'm humbled by their example that they've fleshed out before me in real life Because there's times when I get discouraged in my life and God says, well, just look at this or look at her or look at him. And I say, yeah, that's right. And the writer of Hebrews reminds me also that there's this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before me demonstrating that living by faith, now listen, living by faith is both possible And joyful. Both possible and joyful. So, we see that we search for and we follow those great examples, those good examples in chapter 12, verse 1. But also we make clear decisions about what's important in our life. So chapter 12, verse 1 says, Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, then he says, Let us throw off everything that hinders us, and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. It's all still in chapter 12, verse 1. And so what we need to do is we need to make clear decisions. Again, if you're looking for an outline, this would be number two. We make clear decisions about what's important in our life. We make clear decisions about what's important in our life. Why? Well, walking by faith means that I need to focus. I don't just sort of meander along the road and, and hope that it all works out. No, I need to focus. The image here is about a runner that is clearly engaged in a race. And the ancients, back in this early time, they weren't unfamiliar with the idea of athletics. And so he says, you know, we, we, uh, we throw off everything that hinders and the things that would so easily entangle us um, and let us run with perseverance the race is marked out. The ancients weren't unfamiliar with the idea of running races. They, they had athletics. They had uh, the idea of competition. They weren't unfamiliar with this picture, this idea at all. When I was growing up, I lived in Oshawa, Ontario. Uh, that was my hometown. That was where I was born and raised. And um, the greatest hockey player who ever uh, played hockey in Oshawa, Ontario was a guy that, by the name of Bobby Orr. Yeah, yeah. And some would to this day still say that he may be the greatest hockey player ever. Um, you can debate that all you want, but uh, in our hometown, that was the greatest hockey player who was there. Now not rumor, but fact, uh, he trained along the shores of uh, Lake Ontario. And uh, the, the training regimen that Bobby went through was that he would run along the shores of Lake Ontario, which was uh, uh, not pristine sand, but it was uh, sandy shore. And uh, he would train along that shoreline. And um, he trained in uh, construction boots. But construction boots on and train along the shore. Now you have to go back quite some time ago when uh, he was training because there wasn't all the modern sort of uh, uh, training ideas and everything that there are nowadays for athletes who train. And so Bobby would put construction boots on and he would run along the shores of Lake Ontario. Why? Because he wanted to put as much work and effort into training as he could because he was a defenseman and he wanted legs that would have muscles in them for the long season of junior a hockey to be able to be the best possible defenseman that he could be and have the strongest legs that he could have for the long season that he was going to play for the Oshawa Generals. So he was laying aside all of the possible things that would restrict him from being the best possible hockey player that he could possibly be to play for the team that he was playing for. Now, today, they've got all of the biometrics and everything else you could possibly do to be able to be all the uh, athletic person that you could be, to train in all the possible ways that you can train, and they've got things that are mind-boggling that they could do to be the best uh, in what you're doing today. It's amazing what they've got to get you ready for... Your season and whatever sport that you're training, because everything is sport specific nowadays. Diets, training, all that kind of stuff that they're doing. Um, and they say no to all kinds of physical temptations in an effort to be their very best. Well, the writer of Hebrews just puts it simply. He says, lay aside all the things that don't help you and the sin that so easily trips you up and run with perseverance the race that is marked out for you in order to be all that Christ is calling you to be. He makes it pretty simple. Lisa did indeed pray for healing, but at the same time, she simply shared that no matter what, she was going to run with perseverance, the race that was marked out for her, and she did. So again, let's go back to our question. How is it possible to live by faith when life throws challenges our way? Well, We do so by looking around us and asking, what's distracting me? What's distracting me from living by faith? What's distracting me from running the race that God's calling me to run? And Lisa simply said, I'm going to focus on Jesus. That's all. I'm just going to focus on Jesus. And so I'm going to bring the ladies that I have in my Bible study to my house every week And I'm going to get them to focus on Jesus as well. And they're going to see me, as a woman of faith, battling the thing that I have, this cancer, and I'm going to get them to walk with me, and journey with me, as I focus on Jesus. Together, we'll focus on Jesus. And she lived life to the fullest possible extent that she could, helping these other women together, to point them to focus on Jesus. And she laughed with her disfigurement. And she would go out in public and she would cover herself up because she knew that it would be disturbing for some people to see her with the disfigurement that she was having as her face got more and more disfigured along the journey. And she knew it would be too much for some people to see her so she would wear a scarf over herself. But she would laugh, thinking in some ways that there was humor in the process. But she found joy in the journey because she knew that this was the road that her God was calling her to walk. But she found joy in the journey because she was focused upon the person and the work of her Savior, Jesus Christ. And that was not going to deter her from saying, I'm walking with my God to the very end lay aside all the things that would cause me to stumble and fall and instead focus upon the one who's calling me to this walk that I'm walking and focus solely upon him. His name is Jesus. And I will walk with him to the very end. And I'm not going to get stumbled and caused, I'm not going to get allowed sin to get me to stumble and fall. Mission leaders, I've, walked, I've, I've uh, had conversations with two of them in the past few months and they've told me that one of the greatest hindrances to young people being called into mission work today are parents and grandparents. And I said, well, how do you see that? And they said, because parents and grandparents are discouraging children from going into mission work in a way that previously they've not seen in other generations. Because grandma and grandpa and mom and dad don't want their children To move away from them because they don't want them far away from where they are. So we, as grandpa and grandma, are becoming the sin that so easily entangles the children from doing the work that God may be calling them to do. Think about that, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. You possibly are the sin that is entangling the children from the calling that God has upon their lives. I don't want to be part of that. But mission leaders are saying they're finding it harder and harder to recruit children to the mission field because mom and dad and grandma and grandpa are saying no, 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 don't go away from me. I want you here near me. And we are part of what the leader says here or what the scriptures say here and they everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I'm like, wow. I don't want to be guilty of being the sin that so easily entangles my grandchildren from following the call that God may have upon their lives. And yet mission leaders are saying that is exactly what is happening here in North America. That's a sobering thought. Wow. That's a sobering thought. So, make clear decisions about what's important in your life. Well, what's important in my life is that my children, my grandchildren would look at their God and say, Father, whatever you want me to do, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will follow you to the very nth degree because I want them to focus solely upon what our Father would have them to do and not to be the sin that would be entangling their feet from where they would have them to go. Third part of the outline says this, there are good reasons why we focus upon Jesus Christ, and that's verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3, it says, So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, this is where the joy part comes in, sat down at the right hand, or the, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Wow, that's pretty amazing stuff. So, third part of the outline, there are good reasons why we daily focus on Jesus Christ, Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you're probably going to think, well, this assumes that I'm just going to talk about daily devotions and a quiet time with God, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's great stuff. But don't assume that I think that all of us are having daily devotions. I don't believe that. There are indeed good reasons and good habits for that. And um, I'm pro having daily devotions, absolutely pro having daily devotions with God. But again, as I had a discussion with a church leader recently, he said that he thinks too many Christians have their daily time with God, and then they, uh, they wrap it up with this uh, daily devotional thing or whatever it is. They wrap it up, they close it up, and then they walk away, and then that's the last time they think about God for their day. Because they've got that done. It's like a checklist of things. So, okay, I had my, my, uh, I had my devotional time, and so now I'm done. I, that's all I'm good with. I, now I go off to work, or I go off to all the other myriad of things that I've got to do, and so I'm finished. That's all good. So if that's what we need to think about, then um, we're probably not doing that whole devotional thing right. What am I saying? So if we start our day with God, then I think what we need to do is we need to figure out a way how to continue our day with God. Because he's not interested in having one little component with you. He's interested in finding a way for you to be thinking about him and living with him all throughout your day. I think we need to ask God to help us see him and his work throughout our day. When we see that homeless person, we need to remember to pray. When we bump into that sulking teenager, we need to find words of encouragement, remembering that they need the love of Christ. We need to see that server who's a a single mom in the restaurant and uh, realize that her life is not all that easy and so instead of looking and thinking uh, well we just leave a tip we maybe need to be a bit more generous in the leaving of a tip because her life isn't all that easy and so we need to be more generous as we leave that tip that particular day when we bump into uh, uh, whoever it is that we're having uh, in that particular day and we'll think and say how can I see Jesus Christ in all the different people that I meet throughout my day and ask God to continue to remind me throughout the day everybody that I encounter is a God moment throughout my day and ask God continue to show me the ways to see him in all the people that I encounter throughout my day so that I never actually lose track of God in the day that I'm living day by day by day so that I never stop thinking about him instead of having devotions in the morning close my Bible or my daily devotional and say okay I'm done with God now for the day and I go and live my day my life but rather all throughout the day I continue to be reminded about the fact that my God is a living God and the people that he's brought through my life throughout the day, he's asking me to remember that he's engaged in their life as well. And he wants me to find ways to interact with them because he's at work in their lives and he actually brought them into my life this day because he's got a reason for them to be crossing my path. He's at work in their life. He's at work in my life. He brings those two people across my life and intersects because he's got reasons that are way beyond my life. And our everyday normal lives are not just everyday normal lives. They're God-ordained moments that he's planning out. And that makes our lives anything but everyday normal lives. And that's the beauty of our sovereign God. And it makes our life pretty darn exciting to live because he's at work then all the time, every single day, working in us and through us because he's got purposes that he wants to accomplish through your life and my life. If we'll give him the opportunity to open our eyes to see what he wants to accomplish, just maybe through a word that he wants you and I to speak to another human being because he is at work in us and through us. Amazing. We look to the founder and perfecter of our faith. We ask God to help us see him in the daily routines of our life. And he's there. But how does joy fit into all of this? Well, we look at the, the writer of Hebrews. And look what he says. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross. The writer here doesn't say that there was joy in the cross for Jesus. The cross was excruciating, painful. There wasn't any joy in the cross itself. It says he endured the cross for the joy set before him. In fact, Jesus endured the cross knowing that there was something beyond the cross. And that's where I think you and I come in. The cross is going to provide the door for us to enter into an eternal relationship with our Creator. He had to go through the cross to provide the door for us. If you turn over to the book of Jude, if you get to Revelation, it's just a little book just before Revelation, and you see this little phrase, actually in your Bible it's got this title called the doxology. And in Jude verses 24 and 25 we read this. It says, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. But it says that. It says, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So here's what's going to happen. At the end of our life or when Christ comes to take us home, says he's going to present you before his glorious presence without fault he's going to present us without fault and with great joy that's how jesus is going to present us to the father and it's because of the cross that that's going to happen and so he endured the cross so that he gets that opportunity then when it comes time to present us to the father he's going to say here's my children father i want to present them to you without fault because of the cross because of the work that he did on the cross and he's going to present us without fault and with great joy that's amazing because of all the pain that he endured on the cross he knew what was going to happen because of the work that he did that then he's going to say with great joy here's my daughter here's my son And he's doing it with great joy because of what he did on the cross. He endured the cross so that he could present you with great joy. That's why he suffered on the cross. Wow. Blameless and with great joy. My friend Lisa there were times when in the middle of the night she would post on Facebook and ask for prayer because the pain was so intense. She was so honest in her journey that she didn't allow the pain of this life to rob her. She was honest. She would talk about the pain and she would ask for prayer. But there is also times when she would talk about the joy to come knowing that her days were numbered and she was heading down that that road and she would talk about the joy that was going to happen when she... Close her eyes from this life and opened her eyes to the joy of seeing her Savior. Faultless, blameless, and with great joy because of the cross. So in response to our question of how is it possible to live by faith, we realize that through Christ, there is joy both now and in the future because of what he accomplished in the cross. At that um, that week that I was with Roger, I was going from that men's retreat to another men's retreat that I was speaking at and uh, there I met these two other guys. Um, two men that were very, very different guys. Um, Jim was a, um, a young family man who had experienced a horrific accident. He was in Manitoba living in Raising his kids and family, and he was backing his car to the driveway one day, and he backed his car up over a five-year-old boy, killed him. He was telling me the story as we were sitting one night, and um, he couldn't forgive himself. He uh, couldn't hardly cope with the experience of it, and this was now decades later. He was telling me the story, and. And so through that process of running his, backing his carp over this little boy and killing him, um, he lost his marriage. Started drinking and lost his kids. They wouldn't talk to him. And so uh, after several decades, he was able to reconnect with two of his kids and but uh, and still just couldn't hardly forgive himself for what he'd done. It was an accident. He didn't mean to do it, obviously. And, and so we sat and talked through some things and I said... Jim, I said, you know that God doesn't hold you accountable for that. And I said, you've got to understand that because of the cross, we have a God who forgives. And and so we pointed him to the cross, and and we prayed that evening, and and talked through the forgiveness that comes because of what Christ did in the cross, and and the joy that can happen through forgiveness, and and we prayed through some things, and uh, and. Um, he asked again for God's forgiveness as he'd done previously. And I said, Jim, I said, but you've got to understand that you can't keep on going back and back to the same thing. It's once. And so he he accepted that and, and he thanked me for that. And, and, um, and so we left that weekend and on Tuesday of the following week, the camp director called me and said that Jim had had a massive heart attack and died. And I thought, I'm thankful for the last few days that I got to walk with Jim through that is hopefully he rediscovered the joy that comes through forgiveness and and um, that his final days hopefully on earth were at peace with his God and he found the joy of discovering that we have a God who forgives and, and the other guy that um, I met that same weekend was a guy that I thought I don't even know why he was there he was grumpy, he was cantankerous he came to every single session, he sat there and never ever um, sang a single song never ever had anything to do with any part of what I was teaching and, and um, never brought a Bible never had um, any participation in any which way about anything and he looked like he wished he hadn't come at all and so um, on the, the last night that we were teaching he came up to me afterwards and uh, he said to me kind of in a cranky fashion he says so what would you say to a guy who hadn't read his Bible in 50 years and I looked at him and I said well I guess it'd be about time to start now because he was going to be grumpy with me I'd just be grumpy back And so um, he began to unpack his story for me. He was uh, an American soldier who had moved up to Canada and he told me how that uh, during the war in Vietnam he had prayed to God on many different occasions. He saw God work and and then finally there came a time when God hadn't answered his prayer, he thought. And uh, so he said, during that time, he said, um, at that point he said, I denounced God. I said, wow, that's quite a statement. And so we chatted for a while and I said to him, I said, well look, if you and I we're friends and uh, something happened in our relationship and then I denounced you and I finally decided that that I wanted to be friends with you again I think I'd have to come to you and ask for your forgiveness and uh, he said hmm, I think I know what you're saying and so uh, we finished up our conversation and he left and early the next morning he came back to me and he said um said i i uh i did what you said and i wasn't going to let him off the hook that easy because he was just one of those kind of grumpy straightforward kind of guys and i said uh i don't know what you mean and he kind of said okay okay he said i asked for god's forgiveness last night before i went to bed and i said and he goes i feel like a whole waist come off of my shoulders i said that's great he sat in the front row that morning as i was doing my final session at the camp and He had a Bible with him and he was taking notes left and right and he sang every single song that we did that morning. And um, it was just so neat to see the change and transformation in his face knowing that he discovered that there's forgiveness in the cross after 50 years of having denounced his Heavenly Father. But God doesn't keep track and doesn't sort of make you hold off and, and keep you at arm's length that when you're ready to get things right he's right there ready for you to say come home I'm ready I've been waiting 50 years for you to get things right with me because I've loved you all 50 of those years and I want nothing more than to welcome you home and that guy got welcomed home with open arms that Saturday night because that's the kind of father that we've got that's the amazing thing about our God isn't it that he loves us no matter what And that man, 50 years ago, had denounced God, but God had never denounced him, not once, not at all. He was just waiting for him to come home. And so who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning his shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so that we could come and discover the joy that happens when we're ready to get our hearts right with him. And so we're going to move to a time of communion we're going to come to the fact that uh, remember that Jesus Christ did die on that cross for us and um, just to remind us in 1 Corinthians 11 Paul wrote and he said I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what we do here at the South is um, we come forward, and we pick up the bread, and we dip it in the the juice that's there. We take it back to our seats. And as the band continues to play, and uh, we have some worship time together, you partake of communion as you feel led, all right? There's gluten-free back there in the corner there for those who need gluten-free. But um, you need to examine your own heart because Paul reminds us in that passage that we should not partake if our hearts aren't right with God. And so uh, you determine that yourself. No one here is going to look at you. No one here is going to examine you. That's your own decision in and of yourself. And so um, as you feel led by God, you come forward you pick up the bread you dip it in the cup go back to your seat and as the band plays um, you decide okay I'm ready to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us and as this message has been reminding us our God is an amazing God our Savior is an amazing Savior He died on the cross He rose again victorious that we could have this amazing relationship that gives us the opportunity to have great joy because of what Jesus Christ has done for us let me just pray for us and then we'll uh, as we're led come forward and get the communion elements and we'll go back to our seat and the band will just play Heavenly Father you're amazing your son is so amazing who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning his shame then he went and he sat down at the right hand of the Father Lord Jesus we can't thank you enough for what you've done for us. And now as we take this, these elements of communion, the bread and the blood, the symbols of your broken body and your shed blood, as we hold them and as we partake of them, may we just in our hearts give you so much thanks for what you've done for us. And we just invite you again to speak to us and if we've got something we need to get right with you, Jesus, may we just in our hearts right now, if we need to repent, we'll repent. We need to celebrate, we we'll celebrate. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory because you and you alone are worthy. Your name is Jesus and we praise you in your matchless name. Amen and amen. Just come forward as you feel that